welcome to the IonHoops.com podcast with your host, Guy Flotico. Hey there, Gale fans, and happy Thanksgiving to you all in a year where there's not a whole lot to be thankful for, but if you're listening to this, you could be thankful. It means you're alive. I guess that's a good start for everyone at this point. Uh, sorry for that morbid start, but hey, while you're all getting ready for your turkey and stuffing, I've got something cooked up for you as well. This is my Iona and Max preview episode. Today, I'm going to give you my takes on what we can expect from the Gales this season, from potential lineups we'll see to projecting our win total. I'm also going to tell you how I envision the Max shaping up this year with everything from projected standings to my player of the year, coach of the year, defensive player of the year, and newcomer and rookie of the year, and my projected all-Mac first team. I'm also going to go over five biggest Mac storylines as we head into this season. So settle in for the ride before you start getting the Thanksgiving table ready to go and enjoying each other's company. Well, as much as your governor will allow. But before we get into all that fun, you know it's coming. It's Iona Iona time. Iona Iona. We may, may as well reserve this first Iona 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 Iota of every episode to changes in the non-conference schedule uh, because things took a turn yet again. Late last week, it was announced that the December 5th home game against Wagner was off and that the Iona Hofstra meeting that was originally scheduled for de- December 23rd was now moved to this date, the 5th. Soon after that, Iona announced a home date against Merrimack on Thursday, December 3rd. So for the moment, that is now the debut of Rick Pitino. Assuming we don't see any more changes to the schedule for next week, um, we'll preview both of these non-conference games then. Oh, and keep in mind that Iona can still add more non-conference games to the slate with an eye on that December 22nd, 23rd area as a potential spot to add a game. As you've seen, this stuff keeps changing. Don't get comfortable. Iona. Iona. Of course, Iona is not the only Mac program that's shut down right now due to COVID, uh, on the men's side anyway. Uh, Niagara and Siena are also on hiatus, and recently Manhattan joined the list as well. Uh, Ryder, Marist, Canisius just concluded their shutdowns recently, and we know Monmouth was hit a ways back, and they've been kind of back at it for a while now. So far, Quinnipiac and Fairfield's programs have not been shut down per se, though both campuses have shut down, have had two-week shutdowns earlier in the fall because general spike in cases on campus. So I believe, and if you're listening to this, correct me if I'm wrong, St. Peter's may be the only MAC program that has not been shut down at any point since starting practice. And again, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, and consistent with all of the above, it should come as no surprise then that these are the p- programs that are at least that have been least affected, of course, and they're the ones who, of course, starting play tomorrow, the 25th of November, with the rest of the country. So that's Fairfield, St. Peter's, Quinnipiac, and along with Monmouth. Uh, meaning everyone else who had more recent shutdowns had to cancel their earliest games. No one outside the four schools I mentioned have games on tap for the entire first week of the season, actually. Iona's aforementioned game with Merrimack is the first game involving a MAC team other than those four. So here's hoping we don't see any more shutdowns and everyone can play the rest of the way. Iona. Iona. Remember way back in the summer when this podcast just got started, back in episode three, we had Ryan Kinghorn and Mark Hutchinson from the Monmouth Fan Podcast on? Well, those guys are now done with their off-season hiatus, and they've dropped their own Mac preview episode. They're actually in search of a, of a regular platform home for their podcast, so I don't want to be responsible and give you guys some link randomly to some place that their podcast may not be housed for a while. But if you check out Mark Hutchinson on his Twitter handle, Monmouth at Monmouth Podcast, uh, they will that will direct you to where they've got their latest episode housed. And also, hmm, 
with Iona opening Mac play with two weeks against the two with two games against the Hawks. I wonder who's going to be on tap in a couple weeks to preview those games. Okay, it is time. It is here. My preview of the 2021 Iona Gales, and finally, finally, the start of the Rick Pitino era in New Rochelle. Calm down, everyone. I know you're excited. Take a deep breath and settle in. We're going to start off by talking about my thoughts on the starting lineup, key reserves, and overall depth. You guys have heard a few of my guests go into our roster in great detail, from Brandon Goble of Juco Advocate to Josh Thompson from the Journal News to Iona assistant Casey Stanley, and then you guys heard from Rick Pitino during the interview with Vin Parisi over homecoming weekend. So you've gotten a feel for uh, who might be playing, who might be not playing so much. You've seen other random opinions from John Rothstein on Twitter after eating his cannolis on campus uh, to your fellow Gale fans on the IonaMahoops.com message board. So no question, you have your own starting fives in your heads as well. And some of you have, have vented on the message board via Twitter or even offline to me via text. We have not seen this team at all. There was no meet the Gales. There's no practice videos. There's no scrimmages, no nothing. So how the heck do we as fans project anything about this team and actually have any sign of being correct about it. Who the hell knows? But lucky for you all, I never mind putting my own takes out there, You know, even at the risk of looking like a complete jackass when all is said and done. Um, I have no special insights. I have not been to any practices. I'm just sharing my opinion like everybody else. Uh, this is why I'm sitting here doing a podcast and you're listening. Um, it's all in fun. I have not, like I said, I haven't been to any practices. I don't have Bettino calling me with daily updates regarding how the team's looking or anything like that. Fact is, really, given the limited amount of practice time and the shutdowns, even what the staff is thinking right now about the lineups and rotations, you know, whatever they might be doing for these first couple games coming up might look completely different by February. So, hey, I'm just a do-it microphone taking a stab at this. If you think I'm wrong, hit me up online and tell me why. Share your own opinions. If you think I'm right, cool. So, enough of all that. Let's get to it. We're going to start in the backcourt. I don't think anyone would doubt that Asante Gist and Isaiah Ross will be our starting guards. The two senior captains will likely lead the team in minutes played, if I had to guess. Uh, I have to think both will average over 30 minutes per game, no matter how deep we end up being as a team. Gist is likely the best pure scorer on the roster, really. Uh, And when a team struggles offensively, he's the guy who's likely going to be that one that's going to create on his own the most and get us some points when the offense looks stagnant. Um, as for us, we know he can shoot it with the best of them, and it's a virtual lock. He's going to lead the team in three-point attempts. Um, and we can only hope uh, he shoots them like he did in Mac play last year when he connected at a, r- a ridiculous 47% clip. Um, now, these guys are going to be asked to defend more than ever before. So hopefully uh, they're not worn down by this. They're conditioned and all that. And hopefully they can do this without picking up too many early fouls in games. I think at least one of these guys has to be on the floor at all times as they are the only two proven scorers on the roster. Their ability to stay away from from silly fouls in our press will be something to keep an eye on this season, particularly early on as they're still getting used to the system. We have an interesting trio of backup guards to support our all-MAC preseason backcourt. Um, No doubt that Talik Chavez has gotten the most buzz since signing on, and even those who have seen practices are plugging him as a guy to watch this season. And then there's Ryan Myers, who's also received some love and has reportedly performed well. 
Um, and you're going to see him get valuable minutes this year as well, without question. And lastly, we have Colton, lastly, we have Colton Cashaw, a senior who's who open the season sideline with an injury. Cashaw probably won't get a ton of minutes this year. But you know what? I can see him out there if Guest and or Ross get two early fouls in games, again, because he's an older player. He's a senior. Or if Iona's behind and you want another guard out there to head up the press and, you know, and, you know can give away some fouls. Um, in any event, the structure of the backcourt from the starting guards to the young guns and a senior reserve and support seems comfortably set. I think those two positions are pretty comfortable. So let's move to the front court, specifically the forward and center positions. One player that some of us have had plugged in as a starter from the minute Patino got the job is Dylan Van Eyck. I'm one of those folks who's told, who's, who told you long ago that Van Eyck just seems just tailor-made for Patino's system. And as you heard from Patino, he's the one guy that is, who indeed seems to get the system the best right now. He's the guy everyone seems to have targeted as, as prime for a breakout type season, and with good reason. We already know he brings energy, defense, rebounding, hustle, and other intangibles. And this year, I don't think he's going to defer as much on the offensive end as he did to EJ Crawford and Tuan Agee last year. I don't expect him to be a huge scorer, but I can see him being an efficient scorer. He should start at the power forward spot and should be effective in that role, particularly in a Mac that doesn't have a ton of talented power forwards. So now let's slide over to center. You know, the word here to cover Iona's center spot is potential. We have no proven commodity at the five, but we certainly have two to three guys who look like they can fit the bill. Of course, the one that's gotten the most buzz is 7-1 Osborne Shima. For all reports, he can run the floor, make shots, block shots, but the one thing he can he needs a few more he needs more of is a few more trips to pasta pasta. Uh, this kid is rail thin, and Iona will have to keep an eye on who he's matched up against to avoid early fouls simply due to not having enough bulk to guard the other team's big. But if the other team has a big that can score those t- uh, um, cause those types of problems, Iona does have options to swap in for Shima, starting with junior Robert Brown. Um, we heard some really good things about him in the early practices, and he may be the team's best back-to-the-basket player right now. We also have some other beef in Nelly Jr. Joseph, who has that great college-ready body, but he's really only been on campus a short time, so he doesn't know the system yet or anything else. Um, all told, I think we're going to see Shima and Brown split a lot of their time, especially early on but perhaps a slight edge to Shima. Um, and Nelly's minutes will gradually increase over time. Also, it's entirely possible that we'll see, say, Shima and Brown out there together at times when Van Eyck isn't on the floor, just so there's enough size. Oh, uh, speaking of support for the power forward spot, I should also note freshman Joanne Crawford, uh, uh, who may not be quite as D1 ready as some of the other bigs, but so she'll, so should still see some spot duty as the season progresses. So the front court, like I said, has potential. Um, we're going to see who comes out and who flourishes and who's the most ready for D1 ball as we go. But that's that might be the biggest question mark we have, really. So we'll have to see how that goes. The staff appears to have a nice array of options playing at the three. Iona could go smaller with a three-guard look and plug in someone like uh, Chavez in the backcourt and slide Ross to the three. Iona could also go more traditional to three with lots of big guards, small forward type options. You know, we, the funny thing is this has been the position that we've heard different reports over about different players over the course of the season. So it's kind of like this is the question mark on who's going to start in this spot. The latest buzz seems to suggest that Beric Jean-Louis is going to start at the three. His athleticism is an intriguing option in Bettino's system for sure, especially given the experience that Gales have in the backcourt. Another player who's gotten some props leading up to now has been the lengthy Dwayne Caroma, who, like Jean-Louis, seems like a, a fun fit in this Patino system. Caroma is listed at 6'8", but, so he can actually slide down to the 4 if the Gales opt to play small at times. Uh, 
And then lastly, there's Omar Rose, 6'6", who Rothstein, for whatever reason, pegged as a potential starter, though we've heard less about him compared to some of the others. So again, there's lots of options there. We're going to, you know, game time is going to be interesting. We're going to see who's going who's gonna to step up and perform the best in their minutes. So to summarize, like probably all of you, I expect our trio of senior captains, Gist, Ross, and Van Eyck, to start with the two guards logging the most minutes per game on the roster. And like most of you, I'll go with Shima as our starter, but I expect him to split time for the most part with Brown at the center spot. For, I'm going to go with Jean-Louis as a starter at the three, but I don't expect Chroma to be far behind him in minutes. And I also expect to see Iona go small quite often a bit, especially if the team has problems on the offensive end and ball flow and half-court offense seems to be an issue. Having that extra guard out there might be meaningful. So you're going to see Chavez get a chunk of time in those scenarios, I think, when Iona goes three guard. And Myers, too, probably. Um, so you're going to see a lot of that. All told, I expect Iona to go roughly nine deep with meaningful meaningful minutes, though those outside the top nine won't just collect us. They're going to get they're going to get their opportunities in games, especially early on. And, and again, with with the ma- the way the max schedule is set with back to back games every weekend, teams are going to have to show some depth. So I I really do think all of these guys all are going to play a lot to some degree. Obviously, I'm 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 trying to pinpoint for you which eight or nine I think will will make the actual regular rotation because I do think the rotation will be shorter come March. And of course, there's so many variables involved here too. Not just not just the, the, the double dips on the weekends, but obviously it's players get injured or banked up. And then what if somebody gets is out for COVID? Who knows? So um and then the younger guys who are, are gonna develop, you know, does Nelly Jr. Joseph develop faster than Osborne Shima? I don't know. We're gonna find out. That's that's the fun part of this season for sure. Um, anyway, all that's going to impact everyone's minutes of the course of this season. So it's, and obviously the staff doesn't know it's a time is going to dictate the patterns that we're going to see. Now what the, of course, what the staff has in mind that I don't is guys who might work well together. Does Van Eyck work well with Shima or is he better kind of paired with, with Robert Brown? And then some of the Karomas out there with, with, with Shima. I don't know. I'm just throwing out names. So that's the kind of stuff we're going to have to wait to see how the staff manages in the games, but it'll be very interesting to see it all develop and come to pass. Okay. Let's shift gears a bit and take a look at the Mac. As you'd expect when previewing the Mac, we're going to start with our friends up north, Siena. Extremely difficult to not pick them first like everybody else, given that they returned the Player of the Year, Jalen Pickett, and another Mac first teamer in Manny Camper. Those two alone are good enough to put the Saints at the top, but how good the, the team will actually be might depend on their, the development of their supporting cast. Siena loses super efficient big Elijah Burns and streaky wing Don Carey, but they've brought in solid potential replacements in 6'7 transfer Dana Tate from URI, senior transfer guard Nick, Nip, Nick Hopkins, and Harrison Curry. Siena will need to figure out the center position and, and the roles of some of these other players, but otherwise, they're primed to repeat as regular season champs in MAC, let's be honest. The one team I've seen so many preseason prognostic- prognostications kind of forget about is St. Peter's. Shaheen Holloway loses MAC rookie of the year Aaron Estrada, but the deep Peacocks return other backcourt, we- back- backcourt weapons Daryl Banks and Doug Edert, and I haven't even gotten to the return of their most effective weapon, Casey Nadefo, the best defensive player in the league. Shaw rode his team's defense in depth to finish just a game behind Siena last year. 
and in a Mac that lost a ton of star power to transfer, I don't see any real reason to expect them to drop off that much. I have St. Peter's second in the Mac. For all the reasons we've already discussed, I have Iona finishing third in the Mac. More on that later. The Monmouth Hawks finished fourth in the Mac a year ago, and they seem primed for another top four finish. They have one of the league's biggest losses in transfer in Rain Salnave, but they return weapon Dion, Happen, Dion Hammond, who was probably the league's biggest challenger to pick it in the player of the year race. Hammond's supporting cast looks pretty solid too, and Hawks fans are hoping transfer Donovan Totley from Chattanooga is the key to Monmouth take, making any sort of run at the title. Like Sienna, Monmouth needs to resolve some key issues at the five if they're going to make any, any sort of run. Iona isn't the only team that was in the peg a year ago that I expect to escape that fate in 2021. I think the Manhattan Jaspers have enough horses in the barn to move up in the standings and crack the top five. The Jaspers said farewell to Pauly Polycap, but they do return guards Samir Stewart and Big Warren Williams and welcome in three transfers that should have some impact in Anthony Nelson, Samba Diallo, and Jason Douglas Stanley. Steve Mazziello has proven he can win when he's got some talent, and I really think he has some talent this year, so they're going to be a team to watch. The Niagara Purple Eagles were a surprise last season, particularly given that Greg Pauls took over the team like minutes before the start of the season. Uh, Marcus Hammond and Raheem Solomon returned to lead a three-point happy offense that propelled the Purps to the top six in last year's final standings. However, Niagara is undersized up front, and that's led to a lot of struggles on the defensive end. If the Purps don't get some solid front court play from its newcomers, it's hard to see them making any sort of run to the top five. John Dunn's had a couple of years to get things turned around at Marist. While 2021 doesn't seem to be the year that's going to happen in terms of a real push to the top half of the league, I do expect the Foxes to do more than some may project. Dunn returns four players who averaged more than eight points per game a year ago, players who now know his system, and players who are comfortable in it. But he's going to need to find some more consistency on the offensive end if the Foxes are going to threaten to escape the pig. And you know he's going to dun some teams this year. It's going to be one of those ugly games where they hold you to 30% from the field and they beat you 50 to 48. You know it's coming, especially in a weaker Mac. Speaking of the Mac, you all know the running joke, the one about how Kevin Baggett never gets Ryder out of the quarterfinals no matter how good his team is. Well, that's true. But you know what else is true? Ryder has never totally collapsed under Baggett either. And this year will be no different. Ryder lost basically every player from consequence from last year's third-place team. And yet... I'm going to say now, I don't expect the Bronx to hit rock bottom like, like many others do. I mean, I have no logical reason to give you why they won't completely stink, other than history suggests that they won't. So we'll see how that turns out. Among the teams that seem destined to finish the pig, Canisius may have the most talented player of all of them in Majesty Brandon. And there's plenty around him, as, as there are another six players returning from last year that averaged more than six points a game. So you would think the Grips might be primed to make a little noise in this league. In this league. But whereas I have respect for Baggett for never crashing and burning, it just seems like every year Canisius underachieves, at least a little bit. So for that reason, I see them in that 8-9 game in March in Atlantic City, despite the talent on their roster. Another team that just can't ever make a real push for the top of the league is Fairfield. Jay Young returns a nice duo and Jesus Cruz and Taj Benning and welcomes in point guard transfer Caleb Green from Holy Cross. But there's not much there beyond that. The Stegs will defend and will win some ugly games, but unless, unless they find some more scoring options, getting out of the pig would be a lofty goal. Baker Dunley has proven to be a really solid recruiter, but even with lots of talent, his teams have not excelled in the MAC to the level they should have, primarily because of deficiencies on the defensive end. 
They've also been absolutely murdered by the transfer bug under, under Dunleavy, which makes you wonder what's going on in Hamden. The Bobcats bring back a couple of nice pieces, like led by Jacob Rigoni, uh, but it's hard to see a Quinnipiac team that likely won't improve much defensively, and now without an offensive star power to offset it, making any real noise in this league. So there you have it. My projected order finished. Siena first, St. Peter's second, Iona third, Monmouth fourth, Man- Man- Manhattan fifth, Niagara sixth, Maris seventh, Ryder eighth, Canisius ninth, Fairfield tenth, and Quinnipiac eleventh. In terms of game totals, um, I think the MAC is going to be up and down. The, the league itself, I don't think, is really going to escape those 20s in Ken Palm again. Uh, there's just too many good players that left. Um, and teams are just looking, and, and again, uh, between reduced practice time with a lot of newcomers, I just don't see this the league performing all that well. Um, because of that, I think Siena is going to be very comfortable this year, and um, they're, I'd say they're probably in the, in the range of, of 15 and 5, if I had to guess. Um, St. Peter's probably not going to be far behind them, just like last year, probably in that 14 and 6 area. Um, Iona, Monmouth, those teams probably will be flirting with 13 and 7, 12 and 8. Um, I think um, Manhattan and Niagara will be around 500. Marist a little bit under. Uh, Ryder a little under. And when I say a little under, I'm saying somewhere in that 8, eight and 12, 9 and 11 range. Um, I think Fairfield might be a notch younger. Uh, Canisius and Fair, Canisius probably around 8 and 12 as well. Fairfield, I would guess, somewhere in, in that 7 um, and 13 range. Quinnipiac, probably not far off that pace either. Maybe six wins. So there you have it. It's, it's going to be a little, you know, it, it, it's, it's a Mac. You know, you're going to see bad teams beating quote-unquote good teams. The Mac really doesn't have that many good teams. I mean, that's why a team like St. Peter's, who's really kind of deficient on the offensive end, is going to be finished as high as they're going to. Um, and teams like Iona that has so many question marks with all the newcomers. Granted, they have Bettino as coach, but with so many newcomers, you know, people are predicting them second. I mean, and it's, and it's why Siena is so comfortably in first. They have question marks too, but... In this league, they have fewer, so they're fine. It's it's crazy. So we'll those are my projected finishes, and we'll see how it all turns out. And now we move on to my selections for postseason awards. Given all what I talked about regarding the standings, I have to go with some obvious, perhaps even boring, selections for postseason awards. You all know I have no problem giving it to our friends from Siena, especially when they cry foul to perceive wrongdoing in some way. And true to form, many Saints fans went absolutely ballistic last year after Shaw Holloway was named Matt Coach of the Year instead of Siena's Carm. I'm going to say his name wrong. Massiarello. Maybe I didn't. Um, there's no way Shaw did some, there's no question Shaw did some amazing things last season. This time, guess what? felt Sienna fans had a valid argument. The slight of Carm won't happen again, though. Yes, Sienna is the unanimous choice to finish first in the preseason and everywhere else. But if they do it, Carm deserves the honor. Simple as that. This is a weird year. COVID, players are going to be in and out of the lineup. If Sienna finishes first, they deserve it. Simple as that. Uh, Carm deserves it. I've said before, and I'll come back to this later in the podcast, that Sienna's picked first because they're one of the only teams in the MAC that didn't see one or more of its superstar players transfer out. Carm deserves a ton of credit for keeping picking and Camper from heading to greener pastures like so many other Mac stars. I'll get on. I'll get to that a little more later. Speaking of Pickett, if Sienna does go on to finish first, it's, it's hard to see that happening without Pickett being well Pickett. So assuming Pickett goes on to finish first, he's practically a shoo-in for Player of the Year. 
KC Nadefo anchored just a totally rugged St. Peter's defense a year ago. I expect nothing less, less from this year. I expect St. Peter's to be just as tenacious on defense. He's going to win this award again, unless for some reason St. Peter's really dips in the standings. Finally, we've got a couple of awards that can be debated. The Newcomer Year and the Rookie of the Year. First off, I think the Mac gets this wrong in just having a Rookie of the Year awarded to the top freshman. We live in a world of transfers and JUCOs now. We see three players transfer per per roster per year in the NCAA Division One. These guys are impact players and should have their own award for this league, not just freshmen. Alas, we press on, and we're going to start with Newcomer of the Year. There are, of course, a ton of newcomers in the league that makes this makes picking this uh, award challenging. Seems every every team that's going to have at least one newcomer, not tra- not new, not rookie, newcomer that they're going to be relying on to step right into their starting lineup. Kate from Siena, Shima from Iona, Diallo from Manhattan off the top of my head. But given the roles I expect such newcomers to play, I'm going to give my honors, I'm going to put credit uh, that our newcomer of the year is going to be Monmouth's Donovan Totley. If the Hawks have title hopes, Totley playing at an all-Mac level is a must. The same can't be said for the other guys I mentioned. So Totley's going to get the nod in my book to be the Mac newcomer of the year. Rookie of the year is also interesting in that it's got to go to a freshman that's going to have the opportunity to step in and get meaningful minutes right away. Given that most of the teams projecting near the top of the league, Siena, Iona, St. Peter's, even Monmouth, they have a lot of depth. So it's hard to see a freshman from one of those teams earning the honor, getting the minutes necessary to earn the honor to pile on enough stats to do it. I could be wrong. Uh, but there are some, even though each of these teams has guys who are worth mentioning for that role, CN has Aiden Carpenter coming in. Ione has a couple of freshmen that could play, that could be in that role. St. Peter's has heralded Frost Zarek Nutter coming in. You get the idea. So I'm going to go with a little bit of a flyer on this. It's going to be one of Ryder's freshmen, of which they have many, because their entire roster pretty much turned over. So again, total flyer on this. I'm going to go with Ryder 6'7 freshman Nehemiah Benson to be the rookie of the year in the MAC. And now I hope the kid at least makes the all-rookie team so I look like I know what I'm talking about. So those are my picks. Let's see what happens. Uh, we're going to go back to predict- Predictableville here for my first-team all-max selections. There's really no drama here. I think everybody who's, who's predicted for a MAC, uh, all-MAC first-team preseason has the same handful of guys. So, I mean, there's no reason I see to, to vary it. Pickett, Camper, uh, Monmouth's Hammond, Niagara's Hammond, and Adefo. I mean, if you had, if you asked me to give you one guy who was projected to finish, who was projected more like a second team All Mac guy that can unseat one of those five for first team honors come March, I'll say Asante Gist. So to recap, Carm's going to win Coach of the Year, assuming Sienna finishes first. You know, assuming my picks all turn out right, Carm will win Coach of the Year. Pickett's going to be Player of the Year. Nadefo is going to be Defensive Player of the Year. Totally will be Newcomer of the Year. And the Dark Horse pick Benson as my Rookie of the Year. And there you have it, my full Mac preview. So this next segment of this absolutely wonderful podcast, we'll look at the top five storylines in the Mac this season. Again, these are my top five. If you've got another storyline, hit me up and let me know. Number five, in this COVID season, I honestly can't say that any Mac coach is truly on the hot seat. I just can't see a college canning a coach coming off a pandemic-riddled season, unless they were asking for it for years before. However, 
we do have some interesting coaching clusters forming, in my opinion. First, we have the group of coaches that I'm going to call the Can They Finish What They Started group. This includes Shah, Carm, Paulus, and Young, and I'm actually even going to include John Dunn in here as well. These guys are all st- still generally newish coaches to their programs uh, that have started to put their own stamps on their programs with varying effects. We've seen Carm and Shah rise up to the top of the league, but can they stay there? We've seen Paulus take the first step, but can his program continue uh, to the top half of the league? And and we've seen Young and Dunn implement their defense-first systems at their schools uh, with limited results. And will these teams start to trend upward? So those are things to watch, and that's that group. Can they finish what they started? Then we have the mainstay group, a bunch of coaches who have been around for the MAC for a while now and have their programs in varying states of affairs. We start with two guys who have had success in recent years but are now trying to push their way back to the top and Maziello and Rice. And we have three guys who have had very good players in recent years but never had the success to match in Kevin Baggett, Baker Baker Dunleavy, and Reggie Witherspoon. Now all three of these guys are starting over. Can any of these five coaches rise up and bring their teams to the top of the league? We're going to find out this season. Number four, you know the names. Ray Salnave. Rich Kelly, Kevin Marfo, Paulie Polycap, Domenico Vaughn, Frederick Scott, Aaron Estrada, Don Carey. Key Mac players who decided that they were better than the Mac. Because of this trend, this league is going to be hard-pressed to rise from the depths that it has fallen to, and we're looking at yet another Mac champion that's going to have a crappy NCAA seed because of it. Yes, even if we had a Mac tourney in our league's highest-rated team last year, Siena had won it. They'd have been looking at likely a 15 seed and another swift exit for the league. If the MAC doesn't keep its stars, it's not going to get out of the 20s and Ken Palm Conference rankings anytime soon. The MAC has not been better than 19 as a league since 2014 when it was 17. And hell, in 2013, the league was 14th. I mean, that's, that's heavy-duty mid-major stuff. And this year, with limited non-conference play and with few marquee games among them, the league must win as many of these games as possible to have any chance at a decent rating. But if the ratings stink again, you can blame the all-Mac roster guys who bolted because someone told them they're too good for us. Number three. In a related point, and as I noted earlier in the podcast, Sienna deserves major props for keeping its two stars picking and camper while other Mac stars ditch town. In fact, this may become the new norm for the Mac. The team projected to win the league will be the one that was able to keep its best players from leaving. Anyway, Sienna fans have enjoyed their regular season championship last year, but of course had that empty feeling as COVID cut the MAC tourney short and eliminated the NCAA tournament tournament entirely. The Saints have unfinished business, and their stars knew it, so all eyes will be on Loudonville this season as they are the clear favorites to win the league. Some Sienna fans have said publicly the only thing that can stop them is COVID. Are they right? We're going to see soon enough. Number two. We can't talk about top storylines in the MAC and not mention COVID. It took away our tournament in Atlantic City. It wrecked everyone's offseason. It just flat out toyed with everyone's practice schedules and non-conference scheduling. And here we are just hoping to get games in at this point. The MAC made a wise move shifting to -to back-to-back single-site format to create uh, two-day little mini-bubble situations, if you will. Uh, But will that be enough to get all the games in? Probably not, but you don't know. It's hard to say. And if teams play different amount of games or see its star players sitting out due to COVID, is it really worth it? If some programs do better than others in league league play simply because they're healthier or we're just lucky enough to avoid infection, is that really a way to determine the league's best teams? I don't know. 
We just don't know. Uh, we all want basketball, but at what risk? Is there even much a risk? Some people will tell you, the oh, the rates are low in college kids. It's okay, but it's not just the college kids, stupid. Uh, there are multiple arguments for and against playing college hoops this season. I don't know if we're going to see this entire season go off without a hitch or if we're all going to be shut down in a week. I don't have no idea. All we can do is hope and do the things we're supposed to do to try to keep everyone safe. Number one. Well, COVID is the biggest storyline across the college basketball landscape for sure. There's no doubt about it. But in our little world here of Iona fandom, it's the hashtag Patino effect. The amount of attention and excitement around the program is as high as it's been since the Valvano years. Eyes across the country are watching to see whether Patino finds a way to truly build this program to something special, even if the whole Gonzaga of the East thing is a bit far-fetched. COVID doesn't lend itself to building a program for sure, but if anyone can find a way, it's a Hall of Famer. Assuming he stays healthy given his age, it's another gamble. As I've said, I don't know what the season holds, but Iona fans should just view this as the first step, no matter what the final record is. Patino and his staff are recruiting at a higher-than-MAC level, and don't let anyone tell you differently. Next year's schedule should be fun and challenging, and with the hope of COVID vaccines coming in 2021, early 2021 even, I'm feeling like this entire season is just like a Patino appetizer, as we will not have really enjoyed any sort of meet and greets or fun road trips with the team. So, I mean, I myself have not even met Patino personally yet. So it, it's, it's strange to say that because normally there would be so many events going on where you get to do some handshakes with the coaches and all that fun stuff. And none of that's happened this year. So for me, I'm just hoping we can get our season in not only so we can see those first Patino building blocks get laid, but so our seniors, Gist, Ross, Van Eyck, Cashaw, who got such an unfortunate raw deal last season with Tim Kluis getting sick uh, and seeing the season fall apart in front of them because of that, and now seeing their senior seasons absolutely riddled by COVID. Uh, hope they can go out with the experience of playing for a Hall of Fame coach and with the knowledge that they were integral parts in whatever Patino is going to turn Iona into. On that note, it's time to wrap up this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this season preview, and wow, Tomorrow we have actually game, actual games to watch and even some actual MAC teams hitting the floor. So enjoy the hoops, enjoy your Thanksgiving, and let's be thankful that despite all that is going on and going wrong in our world, we are still preparing to enjoy this Iona ride together as the Patino era is about to get underway. So I wish you all the best, and I hope that you all do your part to keep yourself safe and keep those around you safe. I'm still holding out hope, maybe stupidly, that we're going to have live basketball in 2021 that we'll be able to go to. And I don't mean the fall. I mean this season. But maybe that's fool's hope. I don't know. We're going to see. Anyway, I thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this edition of the IonaHoops.com podcast. This podcast is a production of IonaHoops.com and its publisher, Guy Filatico. The opinions shared during this podcast are those of Guy Filatico, IonaHoops.com, and any featured guests. This podcast is not affiliated with Iona College Athletics or the college itself. Thank you for supporting IonaHoops.com.